So when you hear that cry in the sky, Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks is an English teacher at Madison High School. She can tell you everything you need to know about the present and past subjunctive, but she's not at all sure about the future. That is, her romantic future with biology teacher Philip Boynton. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents a new comedy. My friend Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane with John Brown as Al. Oh, oh, Miss Brooks, I, I don't know what plans you have made for New Year's Eve, but my wife Elaine and I would be very flattery if you would join us. Well, thanks, Mr. Benet. I'm flattery that you should ask me. <laughs> but as far as I know, Mr. Boynton is taking me out tonight. Oh, then you both must come. You see, this is not an ordinary party, Miss Brooks, although we're all going to wear evening clothes and try to have the best possible time. Elaine and I, we realize that among school teachers, there are very few, um, how do you call it, malted millionaires? <laughs> Some of us are too thick to drink with a straw. <laughs> what you're trying to tell me is that the evening won't cost much money, is that right? Oh, it will cost you no money, Miss Brooks, but there is an admission charge. Kind of blood? <laughs> No, 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 just some old clothes. Hey, everyone, welcome to Our Miss Brooks. This Our Miss Brooks comes from January 2nd, 1949, and as you gathered from that clip, there's going to be an old clothes party, a New Year's Eve party, as it were, at Mr. Monet's. So enjoy this episode of Our Miss Brooks. I don't know exactly when this episode will be played, either before New Year's. If it's before New Year's, I hope you have... A great celebration of the coming year. If it is after New Year's, then, um, Happy New Year! (laughs) And I have no idea what I'm doing for New Year's Eve, as this is the, let's see here, two weeks before Christmas as I record this, so I have no idea what I'm doing for New Year's Eve. And I'll be back after this with my friend Irma. I'm Ollie Soap, your beauty hope and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Like many of her colleagues in the teaching profession, Our Miss Brooks, Madison High School's English teacher, watched the year 1948 come to an end with mixed emotions. As she puts it, Although the year didn't start off brilliantly or develop too sensationally, it certainly wound up in a blaze of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I did enjoy my two weeks' vacation. In fact, I spent most of the money I was going to borrow in the next three months. (laughs) The afternoon of New Year's Eve, Friday, December 31st, for those that still can't remember, I was chatting with my landlady, Mrs. Davis. Well, Connie, I guess you've got big plans for this evening. Frankly, I haven't got any plans at all, Mrs. Davis. Of course, I do have a date with the bashful biologist. Mr. Boynton, what are you going to do, Connie? Probably the same thing we did last year. 
pool our money and go to hip things for dinner. <laughs> Fine way to spend New Year's Eve. Two Americans go to a Chinese restaurant, Dutch. <laughs> what are you going to do, Mrs. Davis? Oh, I'm going to visit my sister Angela. She's so absent-minded, poor thing. She'll probably be surprised to see me, although it was only last week that she invited me over. What time do you think you'll be leaving, Mrs. Davis? Leaving? For where? <laughs> For your sisters. For my sister's what? For your sister's house. Oh. oh, I'm glad you reminded me, Connie. I've been making... I've been making up my New Year's resolutions, and that's the first thing on the list. I've resolved to correct Angela's absent-mindedness. Angela's absent-mindedness. <laughs> uh, what else is on the list? What list? <laughs> Maybe I'd better talk to Minerva the cat for a while. We were talking about New Year's resolutions, Mrs. Davis. Oh, yes. I'm sorry I wasn't paying attention, Connie. Tell me the rest of your resolutions. Well, first of all, I've resolved not to... What resolution? <laughs> we were speaking of yours, Mrs. Davis. And before you say my what, I'd like to ask you again the question I asked when we were both younger. <laughs> Namely, when are you going over to your sister's house? <laughs> Maybe you better not go out tonight, Connie. You sound very strange. <laughs> it's just the way you're listening. Or are you, Mrs. Davis? Of course I'm Mrs. Davis. <laughs> now, you lie down and let me fix you some hot tea. I don't want any hot tea. I just want an answer. <laughs> Thanks, Minerva. <laughs> now, about this evening, Mrs. Hello, Davis... Hello, Minerva. Want some milk, dear? <laughs> I'll get you some in a minute. You were saying, Miss Brooks... This evening? Your sister's house? Yes, I'm going over there tonight. I know, Mrs. Davis. Meow. Right away, Minerva. What time, Mrs. Davis? It's, um, a quarter of four now that I'm always <laughs> Get away from those curtains, Minerva. I'll fetch your saucer right away. Keep an eye on her, will you, Angela? I'll be glad to, Connie. <laughs> Come on, just hop into my lap, Mrs. Davis. There's a good dog. This is getting contagious. <laughs> oh, coming. Excuse me, Minerva. Why, it's Monsieur Monet. Come in. Merci, mademoiselle. Thank you. Nice you remember me. Remember you? Why, Monsieur Monet, your Madison High's favorite French teacher. Oh, uh, for that, Miss Brooks, permit me to kiss your hand. <laughs> Well, let's not give the other hand the complex. Certainly not. I, uh, I trust that I'm not arrived at how you say inopportunity time. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, this is very opportunity time. Won't you sit down, Monsieur Manet? Oh, thank you, Miss Brooks. But now that I'm teaching in America, I would appreciate it if you would call me in America. All right, what's your number? <laughs> no, 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 I mean, call me Mr. Monet instead of Monsieur. Oh, certainly. Here you are, Here's a nice saucer of 
Oh, I didn't know anyone had come in. This is Mr. Monet, Mrs. Davis, our new French teacher at Madison. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Monet? How do you do, Mrs. Davis? I kiss your hand, madame. I'll hold your saucer, madame. <laughs> a lovely lady with a lovely hand. Your Paul Minerva, you're next. <laughs> if Mr. Monet came over to see you, Connie, I'm sure he doesn't want to talk to Minerva. I'll just take her into the kitchen. Come along, dear. There's a good kitty. Come drink your milk out here. So nice to admit you, Mr. Monet. Oh, likewise, I'm sure. She's very nice here, Mrs. Davis. But why she run away so fast? In the words of some of my pupils, why she took some powder and put it on the lamb? <laughs> some powder. Oh, you mean she took a powder or took it on the lamb. May we. She flew out of here like a bat out of Mr. the... Mr. Manette. <laughs> You're learning faster than your teaching. <laughs> now, Mrs. Davis was just being tactful. I guess she thought you wanted to be alone with me. Alone with you? But why, Miss Brooks, I'm a married man. Oh, I know, but Mrs. Davis doesn't know about your wife, Mr. Manet. Oh, oh, Miss Brooks, I, I don't know what plans you have made for New Year's Eve, but my wife, Elaine, and I would be very flattery if you would join us. Well, thanks, Mr. Manet. I'm flattery that you should ask me. <laughs> but as far as I know, Mr. Boynton is taking me out tonight. Oh, then you both must come. You see, this is not an ordinary party, Miss Brooks, although we're all going to wear evening clothes and try to have the best possible time. Elaine and I, we realize that among school teachers. There are very few, um, how do you call it, malted millionaires? <laughs> Some of us are too thick to drink with a straw. <laughs> what you're trying to tell me is that the evening won't cost much money, is that right? Oh, it will cost you no money, Miss Brooks, but there is an admission charge. Kind of blood? <laughs> no, 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 just some old clothes. You see, I am in charge of a committee to send clothing to the poor people in France. Any sort of clothes would do, Miss Brooks. Anything that is made of cloth. Why, that sounds like a wonderful idea, Mr. Manet. I'll be delighted to come. And Mr. Boynton, do you speak for him as well? Mr. Boynton has been spoken for many times. The trouble is he doesn't answer. <laughs> oh, you mean about tonight. Yes, Mr. Manet, I feel sure I can speak for Mr. Boynton. Oh, fine. I'll be leaving then. I'll walk you to the door, Mr. Manet. Oh, my address is uh, 9066 Shawn Drive. Try to get there before 10. And I'm sure that as my students say... We will have a ball. <laughs> I'm sure that we will. Yes, until tonight then, Miss Brooks. Stay in the groove. Oh, Natch, Mr. Manet, Natch. And Mr. Manet. Yes? Don't take any wooden pranks. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will return in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Ladies, regardless of age, skin type, or previous beauty care, doctors prove you too may win a lovelier complexion with palm olive soap. But to win this lovelier complexion, the kind men admire and women envy, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive soap the way doctors advise. Remember, 36 doctors, leading skin specialists, advise 1,285 women, many with complexion problems, to use palm olive this way. Some have dry skin, some oily, some coarse-looking. Using palm olive soap alone, two out of three won lovelier complexions. Now, here's what the doctors advise. Wash your face with palm olive soap. Massaging for one minute with palm olive soft lather. 
This cleansing massage brings your skin palm olive's full beautifying effect. Rinse. Do this three times a day for 14 days. It's that simple. But doctors have proved this way, using nothing but palm olive, really works. So forget other beauty care. Use palm olive soap alone for a lovelier complexion. For loveliness all over, use big, thrifty bath-sized palm olive in your tub or shower. After Mr. Monet left, I tried to get Mr. Boynton on the phone to tell him about the invitation. But ours is a party line, a four-party line to be exact, and every time I picked up the receiver, it was in use. Always careful not to lose my temper, I sat by the phone and drummed lightly on the top of the table until my five fingernails were impaled in the mahogany. (laughs) Then I tried it once more. As sure as my name is Lucy Schofield, that's the only way to treat men, Emma. Believe me, if I had to do it all over again, Emma, I'd, oh, excuse me a minute, dear, I think I smell my roast burning in the kitchen. Now, that's a coincidence, Lucy. I smell my grapes burning in the living room. (laughs) Hang up now. I'll call you back. So much for Emma and Lucy. I'll try it again. Oh, it worked. At least I can dial now. I hope Lucy doesn't think Emma was kidding her. Happy New Year, Daisy. Is Fred there? (laughs) This isn't Daisy, and Fred isn't here. Will you please get off the line? What do you mean, get off the line? Just what I said. Get off this line. Oh, Mrs. Telephone Company, huh? <laughs> Look, this happens to be a party line, and I happen to be the party using it at the moment. Oh, well, that's different. If you want me to come to a party, I'll be glad to talk to you. <laughs> My name is Frank Pollock. What's yours? It doesn't matter. I only... Say, Frank. Frank, are you still there? Sure, I'm still there. <laughs> I was mighty nice of you to call me, Daisy. What I think of the way I treated you. <laughs> the shameful, horrible way I treated you. Don't cry, Frank. I had it coming. No. Will you please hang up? Your bottle is falling out of the chandelier. <laughs> well, thanks, Daisy. You're a great girl. And tell Fred to give me a buzz when he gets in. Bye now. <laughs> He's getting an early start. When a body meets a body, he's had too much ride. <laughs> Hello? Hello, Mr. Boynton. This is Miss Brooks. I assume we still have a date for tonight. Tonight? Oh, this is Friday, isn't it? Yes, December 31st. Uh, 31st, eh? Yes, you know, the day we celebrate the appearance of the first enchilada north of Laredo, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's New Year's Eve, Miss Brooks. What are we going to do to kill a few hours together? We'll think of something, you mad, impetuous boy. (laughs) As a matter of fact, that's why I called. Mr. Monet and his wife are having a little impromptu party at their house, and they've invited us. Uh, What kind of party? Well, you have to have some old clothes, and then you... Hello? Is that you, Emma? I didn't quite understand you before. No, this is not Emma. This is your friendly, cooperative, party-line neighbor. Oh, the magpie. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you talking to? I'm talking to nonstop Nellie, the human dial tone. (laughs) Now, will you please stop this filibuster and get off the line? Well, the phone company will hear about this. Are you there, Miss Brooks? Yes, Mr. Boynton. As I started to tell you, although it's a formal party, we're supposed to have some piece of apparel that we can... 
Happy New Year. Oh, <laughs> Who's that? Well, it's about time you got home, Fred. That is not Fred. Oh, it isn't, huh? No, it isn't. As uh, Fred's oldest and closest friend, I demand to know who it is. Now, see here, old man. I'm not your old man. <laughs> I don't even know where your old man is. <laughs> I don't even know where my old man is. No, you see, but I don't even know where my old man is. <laughs> We'd better hang up now. You can't, Daisy. You can't hang up. Now, without you, tell me where my old man is. Daisy. Listen, Mr. Nobody Barney. wants to tell me where my old man is. All you have to do is bring some old crow. clothes with you. Frank, and I love you for it. <laughs> if you don't get off this phone, I'll have you thrown out of the bar you're calling from. Bar? Oh, is that where I'm calling from? Bless you, Daisy. You helped me find my old man. <laughs> sure, he's sitting on the stool next to me. You better hang up now. Fred hates it when I talk to strangers. Oh, Mrs. Davis. Yes, Charlie. I wonder if you'd give me a hand. I've been invited to a formal party tonight, and I just don't know what to wear. Well, what have you got, Sammy? Oh, nothing. That is nothing but an old evening gown I've had for five years. Well, come on into your room, Connie, and we'll look it over. Here we are. It won't take long to find in my closet. Well, let's see. Here's a skirt and blouse. The suit I got two years ago. Here's one of the dresses I wear to school. Here's the other one. <laughs> oh, there we are, my pride and joy. Why, that's real pretty, Connie. And look at the fringe. Silly moths, they left the best part. <laughs> While I'm in here, I'd better find something to donate as well. Donate? Yes, the price of admission to the party is some old clothing. I know I've got some because I've been wearing it. Oh, dear, I forgot to tell you, Connie, but just last week when the Goodwill truck came around, they picked up old clothes, too, you know. I gave away everything of mine I could possibly spare. Oh, that's all right, Mrs. Davis. You're not going to the party. I know, but uh, I also gave away a big bundle of your stuff. You had it lying in the closet, and Mrs. I Davis, that it... was for the cleaners. I had some of my newest clothes in that bundle. 1945 stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, dear. Maybe you can borrow some old clothes to get. Well, I guess I'll have to. I know. I'll go over to the Conklin's. He's got one suit I know could use an ocean voyage. Coming! Where's Miss Brooks? Come on in. Thanks, Harriet. Are your folks at home? Mother's out shopping, but Daddy's upstairs taking a nap. Come on into the living room, won't you? Walter Denton and I were just playing passing. Look who's here, Walter. Well, if it isn't my favorite English teacher... Sit down, Miss Brooks. Harriet and I were just playing Pass It. So she told me. What's Pass It? Well, it's a game we read about. Lots of high school kids play it. All you do is take a piece of Kleenex and hold it to your nose by sniffing. And then with both hands behind your back, you pass it down a long line of kids by sniffing it away from your neighbor. Oh. <laughs> Sounds fascinating. But where's the long line of kids? Oh, it's just as much fun with the two of us. More. <laughs> 
saves wear and tear on the Kleenex, too. Uh, Harriet and I go steady. That's why I'm here. But what brings you to the dread sanctum sanctorum of your school principal during a holiday? Please, Walter. You make Daddy sound like an ogre. Yes, Walter. Just because Mr. Conklin is my superior at school is no reason for me to live in dread of him. Harriet! Ah! <laughs> what is it, Daddy? Try to be a little more quiet, can't you? I've got to get some sleep. Sorry, Daddy. We'll be more careful. I don't think now is a good time to tell him you're here, Miss Brooks. He's going to a big party tonight and wants to get some rest. Well, then maybe you kids can help me out. I've just got to get them old clothes somewhere right away. Why, Miss Brooks? The ones you've got on look fine. <laughs> Thanks, Walter. I think. But I'm talking about clothes I can donate. Golly, Miss Brooks. Mother just gave away every stitch we could possibly spare to the Salvation Army. Wait a minute. Daddy's new tuxedo is being delivered today. And he's got an old suit of evening clothes that I'm sure Mother would love to see given away. Say no more, Harriet. Do you think you can get it without waking your father? Well, sure. It's right here in the hall closet. Here it is, Miss Brooks. This is the suit Daddy wore when he first became a principal. Let me look at that. Hmm, I'll bet he was a sensation in these tales. Why? There are three of them. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, that's just where one of them is torn. You could patch that up in a jiffy. Thanks very much, Harriet. It's cloth anyway. Well, I'll be getting along home now. Mr. Boynton's picking me up soon, and I've got to see if my evening gown still fits me. I've had it for over five years. Oh, I think that's nice, Miss Brooks. What's nice, Walter? How you and your evening gown have grown old together. <laughs> well, not that you're falling apart at the seams or anything. I mean, well, to me, you're still all wool and a yard wide. <laughs> You have just failed in English for 1949. Would you care to try for 50? Uh, hello. Hello, Mr. Conklin? Yes, who's this? This is Kane from Kane's Classy Cut Clothes with four Ks. Oh, yes. Where's my tuxedo, Kane? You promised it to me by 5 o'clock. It's 10 off now. Oh, that's what I'm calling about, Mr. Conklin. I can't get the suit to you by 5 o'clock. You can't? Well, then when will it get here? Next Tuesday. <laughs> Next Tuesday? But I've got a very important party to attend tonight. Oh, no, 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 please, Mr. I... Conklin, don't yell at me. What? Yell at the local makers union. They went out on strike yesterday. But isn't there something you can do? Somebody who can fix now, this? Con calm yourself, Mr. Conklin. Even if I gave the suit to another shop to be finished, it wouldn't do any good. The buttonhole boys went out in sympathy. <laughs> but how could you... Well, why do you... When did this... No, 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 How are you easy, Mr. Conklin. When take it easy. My blood pressure is just as high as yours. So let's be good to ourselves and exercise some control. Control? But how can I... What will I... Even if I have... Now, there's no use no both reason. of us aggravating. Uh, goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Happy New Year. Happy... Happy... <laughs> Harriet! Yes, Daddy, we're here in the living room. Harriet, I've had a great disappointment. I talk to you. Oh, hello, Tenton. Hi, Mr. Conklin. We're playing pass it. Want to sniff this Kleenex off my nose onto your nose? I can think of nothing more loathsome to do. Harriet, you know where your mother put my old suit of evening clothes? Your old suit, Daddy? Yes, yes. I've got to wear it tonight. Oh, but that old evening suit isn't any good, Mr. Conklin. It would make you look like a, like a head waiter in a cabaret. A head waiter in a That happens to be one of the finest dress Please, suits. Please, Daddy. I gave it to Miss Brooks just a little while ago. She and Mr. Boynton are going to a party where you have to bring some old clothes to get in. What? 
That does it. Not only do my teachers openly flaunt my wishes about fraternizing, but they take my evening clothes along with them. <laughs> Children, do you know what I'm going to do? No, we don't. But I know one thing. If I was Miss Brooks, I'd hop in bed and pull the covers up over my head. <laughs> old faithful look on me, Mrs. Davis. Lovely, Tony. And fringe is more popular than ever. It's amazing what a tuckier and a stitch there will be. About what time did Mr. Boynton say he'd be over? About this time, Mrs. Davis. I'll get it. Good evening, Mr. Boynton. Won't you come in? Oh, thanks, Miss Brooks. Hey, that's an interesting overcoat you have on. Raccoon, isn't it? Yes. It's a relic of my college days. Do you mind if I hang it up here? It's pretty warm. Go right ahead, Mr. Boynton. Then come on into the living room. All right. Oh, that's better. Well, Brooks, you certainly look lovely tonight. Thanks, Mr. Boynton. You look... Mr. Boynton, I told you we were invited to a New Year's Eve party, didn't I? Well, yes, you did. Do you always go to a formal party in white flannels with a blazer and a beanie? Formal? But you said you had to have some old clothes to get in. Some odd piece of wearing apparel is what you told me. Oh, great. I hope your sneakers are vulcanized. (laughs) I don't understand, Miss Brooks. Just what kind of a party is this? It's a formal party, Mr. Boynton, but the price of admission is some old clothes to be shipped abroad. Oh, well, I don't know. I, I don't usually go to parties on New Year's Eve. You don't? Well, how do you like to spend the evening, Mr. Barnum? Well, I usually have an early dinner and catch the first show at the movies and hit the sack about 10.30. What does your doctor say about such carrying on? (laughs) Look, Mr. Barnum, I've already accepted for both of us, and wait a minute. I've got a dress suit that might fit you. Then we can bring the stuff you've got on as our, our admission. Just go into my room, Mr. Boynton, and take off those clothes. Oh, Miss Brooks, what in the You'll world... You'll find a suit of evening clothes right on the bed. Please slip them on. Mrs. Davis! Yes, Connie? Have you finished sewing Mr. Conklin's tail together? Just finishing now, Connie. Here it is, as good as new. It would make any head waiter proud. Oh, hello, Mr. Boynton. My, what a nice beanie. Three propellers. <laughs> I wish you'd tell me what this is all about, Mrs. Davis. Well, you're going to an ideal source for information. Just take this suit and put it on, Mr. Boynton, please. Well, all right, Miss Brooks, but this is all highly irregular. Now, Mrs. Davis, let's go into your room. I want you to fix my hair in the back. I'm wearing it up, you know, and it's not quite high enough. My goodness, Connie, how high do you want it? High enough so that I'll have to stand on a chair to pull it down. Doesn't fit too badly, I guess. Uh, Miss Brooks, I've got the suit on. That's fine. I'll just be a few minutes. Oh, would you answer that, please, Mr. Boynton? Mrs. Davis is still rummaging in my scalp. All right. Oh, well, it's Mr. Conklin. Good evening, sir. Good evening. I'd like a table down front, but not too near the drum. (laughs) Oh, uh, oh, it's you, Boynton. Yes, sir. Won't you come in? No, I won't come in. Boynton, how did you? When did you? Who gave you? What are you doing? New Year's Eve, I'd swear that Mr. Conklin had come by. Oh, it is you, Mr. Conklin. Miss Brooks, I demand the return of my evening clothes at once. Your evening clothes? I cannot tell a lie, Mr. Boynton. Take it off. Take it off? Take it off! 
Well, don't just stand there, Mr. Conklin. Applaud a little. Get ready, everyone. It's 12 o'clock. Turn up the radio. Well, Miss Brooks, nice party, no? Oh, very nice, Mr. Manet. Oh, but it's midnight now. The band is playing Auld Lang Syne, and everyone should be kissing someone. Where's your Mr. Pointer? Oh, haven't you heard, Mr. Manet? He hit the sack at 10.30. Eve Arden, as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanence. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream Girl. You owe your crowning glory to. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Boynton didn't show me such an exciting New Year's Eve, but we had another date the next day, today. After spending the afternoon at the zoo, we came back to my house. Uh, Do you mind if I turn on the radio, Mr. Boynton? Oh, not at all, Miss Brooks, but I'm afraid I can't stay to listen to it. Why not? Well, actually, I didn't get into bed on New Year's Eve until ten minutes of eleven. I've got to catch up on my sleep. (laughs) And so, as Philip Boynton faded slowly into the West, I bade him farewell in true Zulu fashion by saying, Tunga Lunga Bimba Lakta, which means, how can you leave now? Jack Benny has switched over to CBS. Tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Carmelly Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Men, do you shave with a lather or brushless shave cream? Palmolive shaving cream comes both ways, and whichever way you prefer to shave, you'll find that using either Palmolive brushless or Palmolive lather shaving cream can bring you more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Here's the proof. 2,548 men tried the new Palmolive way to shave described on the tube, and no matter how they had shaved before, three out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Get Palmolive brushless or Palmolive lather shaving cream today. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time 
for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Stay tuned now for Lamont Abner, Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. January the 3rd, the beginning of a new year. 1948 has slipped into the past, and yet, thanks to my roommate, Irma Peterson, I will remember it as long as I live. For it was in 1948 that Irma did the following memorable thing. A. She bought a refrigerator without a motor because she felt that without any moving parts, there was nothing to go out of order. (laughs) B. It was in 1948 that she gently took my new sealskin coat and put it in the bottom of the bathtub while she poured water and ice over it because it was Be Kind to Animals Week. (laughs) And see, it was also in 1948 when Irma's boss, Mr. Clyde, told her he wished to speak to a client in Dallas, Texas, person to person. So Irma wired him the fare for a round-trip ticket. That was all in 1948. 49 is starting out even worse. (laughs) Why? Because Irma has at long last broken off with Al. That's right. You've heard it here first. (laughs) Irma has broken her engagement with Al. O-M-G. Welcome to my friend Irma this episode. It's from January 3rd, 1948. The episode is entitled Double Date. Yes, Irma has broken up with Al. What next? Oh, my God. Anyway, enjoy this episode, and I'll be back with Fred Allen. <laughs> and I'm already having problems with the year. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. This My Friend Irma comes from January 3rd, 1949, not 1948. I apologize. Lever Brothers Company presents the Pepsodent Show, My Friend Irma. Friendship, friendship. Wired in the fair for a round-trip ticket. 
<laughs> that was all in 1948. 49 is starting out even worse. Why? Because Irma has at long last broken off with Al. And day and night for the past three days, America's number one fugitive from an honest buck has been bombarding his chicken with various notes and tokens of his love. On Friday, it was a letter. A letter which went, Dear Chicken, I cannot understand how you could break up our romance after all we've gone through. We used to count on each other so much. Now that you've left me, I can no longer eat. I go without breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> Don't cry, honey. It's not your fault. Yes, it is. He used to count on me for those things. <laughs> I do not wish to cause you undue alarm. But unless you take me back, I will throw myself under the wheels of a subway train from the top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> and on the way down, I will stab myself several times. Fatally. And if that don't work, I will take poison. And if nothing happens by the time I hit the ground, we'll do something desperate. He's figured more angles than a four-way coal tablet. It's too bad things have to come to this sudden end. Just when I thought of a real money-making plan. Oh, no. Yes, a plan that would make us rich. It's a special weight recorder for wives who are suspicious of their husbands. A device which can be attached to the husband's chair at the office. When his secretary sits on his lap, the additional weight is recorded, and the wife has got him with the goods. <laughs> so you see, Chicken, unless you have a change of heart, the world will lose a great mind. Adios. Al. That was Friday. Early Saturday morning, a single lily was delivered to Irma. A lily which I am quite certain I saw clasped between folded hands in the window display of Hawker's Mortuary. <laughs> and on the card, tenderly inscribed, were these immortal words. Dear Chicken, I sent you this single lily because the hands that last held them were as cold as your heart. <laughs> Desperately, Al. So much for Saturday. On Sunday, sheer grief gives way to determination in the form of a love poem, a work of deathless art. Dear Chicken, like a little squirrel needs his nuts, I must have you and no one but. <laughs> Enough to tear your heart out, isn't it? But all this hasn't made the least impression on Irma. She's completely wrapped up in thoughts of her new boyfriend, Melvin Baxter. Uh, Jane? What, Irma? What do you really think of Melvin? Well, from what I've seen of him, he strikes me as being reliable, ambitious, and sincere. Well, I suppose you're right, but I can't see where he's so reliable. What do you mean? We've been out together four times, and he hasn't even kissed me once. <laughs> well, maybe he's a bit bashful. Gee, Al was different. He kissed me four times before we were introduced. <laughs> <laughs> Irma, you sound as if you're still a little sweet on Al. Oh, no, Al is a forgotten chapter. Uh, since I've been going places with Melvin, life is just a new thrill. You don't know what it means to a girl to go on a subway with a man and have him pay your fare. <laughs> I have lived a little, too. 
And Melvin is so considerate. Look, honey, Please. you can tell me all about it while we walk down to the beauty parlor, huh? Oh, all right, Jane, let's go. Now, what were you saying about... Me- oh, look, Irma, there's another letter in the mailbox. And I think it's from... Guess who? Well, let me see. Well, read it while we walk, huh? All right. Dear Chicken, you have refused to see me. Well, let me warn you. If you are thinking of marrying another man, do not waste time learning to cook for him, since he will be on a liquid diet because I will knock out all his teeth. (laughs) Devotedly, Al. Oh, gee. Gee, Jane, this is terrible. What? I have just given Melvin a tube of Pepsodent for Christmas. <laughs> Irma, watch where you're going. You'll slip over that man tying his shoelaces. Oh. Oh, it's Professor Kropotkin and Mrs. O'Reilly. Hello, Jane. Yes. Irma, my two little darling. Oh, girls, I'm so glad to see you. The professor here has been trying to tell me my hair isn't natural red. <laughs> over the holidays. Not a chance. Not after last night. I went into my room and I thought Mrs. O'Reilly had given me a beautiful crystal chandelier. But then I turned on my gas heater I was almost killed. How come? The icicles melted and came down on my head. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, yes. And then I complained to Mrs. O'Reilly. She says, I have an advantage none of her other tenants have. In my room, I can never get lost. Because when I lie in bed, I can see the North Star through the ceiling. <laughs> oh, you and your beating. You almost made me forget to give Jane Richard's message. Oh, did, did Richard call me? Yes, Janie. Just go inside and use my phone. Oh, huh? thanks. Wait for me, Irma. Tell me, Irma, how's the new romance with Melvin? Oh, he's so sweet and kind. And I know he likes me because he broke off with his girl, Myrtle. Myrtle? Yes, and I'm proud because that's the test of a man's devotion. Indeed it is. When the poor departed Clancy met me, he was going with another girl, but he broke off with her. I understood she felt terrible. But she got over it very quickly and married Julius Caesar. Picture Julia Caesar is married to Vivian Lee. <laughs> oh, come on, Irma. I've got to hurry. Uh-huh. Must be a big date. <laughs> well, I'll see you later, girls. Be careful, Mrs. O'Reilly. You'll fall into that ash can and they don't collect it till Wednesday. <laughs> oh, that's so fast, Jane. You'll get to the beauty parlor. Well, I don't want to be late. Richard is taking me out tonight, and you and Melvin are invited. Gosh, how did this happen? Well, he just explained that one of his clients is in some sort of scandal, and while Richard isn't involved directly, he doesn't want to be any place where he can be pestered by reporters. You know how he hates publicity. Oh, of course, I understand. So the four of us will go to some nice, quiet place. Oh, here's the beauty parlor. You coming in, Irma? No, I just want to walk through the slush and think of Melvin. <laughs> well, I- I'll see you later, honey. 
I'm in the mood for love. Simply because Simply because If you don't go away and let me finish this song, I'll call an officer. Now listen to me, chicken. You don't know what this separation has meant to me. I lay in bed at night thinking of you, and my heart beats a savage tattoo. I'm sorry, Al, but having pictures on your chest isn't going to make any difference to me. (laughs) Please, chicken. Haven't I given you the best years of my life? Al, ever since I've known you, you've been in the unemployment line. Well, those were my best years. (laughs) Look, chicken, I can't take any more of it. My whole life is all mixed up. I'm so confused, I... I, I, I put my hand in the wrong pocket this morning when I went to make a phone call. What do you mean? Use a nickel instead of a slug. <laughs> Chicken, I'm, I'm disintegrating right in front of your eyes. Oh, please, Al, not in front of strangers. <laughs> it's all over between us. I love Melvin. Uh, Melvin? That's the guy that's been poisoning your mind against me with his fanatical talk about working. You leave Melvin out of this. Please, Chicken, how can you do this? After all, we were inseparable, like Trilby and Svengali, and Damon and Pythias. Oh, Al, you're talking about cities I haven't even been to. <laughs> it's no use, Al. I want Melvin. Chicken, if I can't have you, no one will. Al, if you don't stop talking like that, I'll call a policeman. Now go. Okay, I'll go. But I warn you, if that Melvin comes to see you tonight, you better tell him to wear a football helmet. Because I'm going to kick him right in the end zone. Oh, hello, sweetie. Well, Irma, what's wrong? You look all upset. Oh, nothing. But besides, when Richard gets here, everything will be all right. Richard? What do you mean? Oh, when the policeman comes, he can be a witness. Policeman? Witness? Irma, what are you driving at? Oh, I ran into Al on the street, and he's coming over tonight to murder Melvin. Oh, no. And Richard doesn't want publicity. Irma Peterson, why do you always have to get mixed up in these things? I don't know, Jane. I guess I'm just a good mixer. beside myself with anger. Richard, who is purposely taking me out tonight to some out-of-the-way place to avoid publicity, is about to walk into a homicidal spotlight. And Irma is completely unconcerned. She is lost in her dream world. How do I know? Because she's putting mascara on her fingernails and nail polish on her eyelashes. (laughs) Irma. Oh, what is it, Jane? Oh, look what I did to my nail. Look, honey, I'll make excuses for the fact that you think you're in love, but I refuse to let your love affairs come between Richard and myself. Well, Gina, I don't think I will start a fight with my new boyfriend, Melvin, when we go out tonight. But he's liable to. The four of us are going out, and if there's a fight, Richard is going to be standing right there when the police arrive. So what? He can just say he was watching in (laughs) self-defense. Irma, don't be ridiculous. And now, look, sweetie, you've got to go down to the corner and tell Al to be a gentleman. Well, well, what shall I tell him? Just say you have no respect for men who use brute force and resort to violence, and you insist he leave Melvin alone. Now, can you remember that? I think so. Let's hear it once to make sure. All right, I I have no respect for men because I'm going to resort with a brute 
If I have to use violence. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 Irma. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'd better go down myself. Jane, believe me, I will never start a fight. <laughs> well, what makes you so sure? Well, because fighting is too much like work. And that's enough to make Al sick. I never thought of it that way. Oh, certainly, Jane. This is going to be a quiet evening. Well, now, now I'm relieved. Oh, Richard will be here any minute. I'd better start dressing. Oh, Jane. Yes, please. Uh, you don't have to be afraid to wear your new evening gown when you go out with Richard tonight because I fixed it. Oh, that's nice. What? You fixed it? Yes, I didn't want you to catch cold, so I patched up the front and the back. Irma! <laughs> Irma, that's the new neckline. Where is it? Oh, well, thank goodness you sewed it by hand. I can get these stitches out without too much trouble. Oh, I'm sorry, Jane, but Miss Winter, I thought... Oh, you get the phone. I'll slip my dress on. All right. Hello? Oh, it's you, Al. Huh? No, Melvin isn't here yet. But, Al, I don't want you to start a fight up here because... Uh... Oh, you don't intend to? Oh, all right. Yes, yes, I know you're being considered. Uh, uh, thank you. Goodbye. Jane? Yes, Irma. You see, all your worries were for nothing. That was Al. Oh, wonderful. Then he isn't coming up here to start a fight. No, he said he'd start out front because there's more room to swing. <laughs> what? Oh, Irma, Irma. Jim, oh, I'm, I'm sorry I got you in a mess, but to me it's, it's all so romantic. Romantic? Yes. Just imagine two men fighting over me. Little me, center of attraction. <laughs> it's like two birds fighting over a worm. Oh, oh, gee, my life was nothing, and now I'm suddenly becoming important. Two men are fighting over me savagely, furiously, like two Roman alligators. <laughs> That's gladiators. And Irma, I don't see anything romantic about it. Oh, I do. Personally, I, I think love is too tame these days. I'd like to go back to the days of the cavemen. Oh, I suppose you'd like to be pulled across the countryside by your hair. Oh, I wouldn't mind as long as I knew that someday my husband could afford a car. <laughs> Come in. Hello, girl. Oh, Mrs. O'Reilly, you're just the person I want to see. Why, oh, Janie, you look upset. Is there anything wrong? Everything is wrong. Irma's new boyfriend, Melvin, is coming over tonight, and Al says he's going to beat him up. Well, now, if there's anyone he listened to, it should be Irma here. Irma. She is looking forward to it. She thinks it's romantic to have men fighting over her. Oh, I know how she feels. When I was a young girl, I met two fine lads with a dance. And when it was over, they started a fight to see which one was going to take me home. The best-looking boy won. And I was very disappointed. Why? The loser had to take me home. <laughs> Janie, if Al starts anything tonight, I'll call the police. Oh, no, no, Mrs. Riley, not the police, ever. Richard will be here, and right now he can't afford to be involved in any trouble. Well, I don't think there'll be any trouble. If I know Al, it's more likely he'll try to talk Melville into stepping out of the picture. He's probably figuring out an angle right now. Some way to get that Melvin to work so he'll stay away from chicken. And in a case like this... There's only one man who can help me. Who else but... Hello, Joe. <laughs> Al, got a problem. 
Want to get rid of a rival, but don't want to get in any trouble. What is my move? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. Make it look like he was hit by a truck, huh? <laughs> so, how, how, how do I do that? Get a baseball bat and tie a license plate on the end of it. <laughs> Joe, you are a genius. Thank you, and goodbye, noble friend. Well, I guess Mrs. O'Reilly was right. I was just letting my imagination get the best of me. Everything is calm and peaceful. And I can't wait for Richard to get here. Irma, of course, is anticipating Melvin with ecstasy beyond delight. Right now, she has a sunshine biscuit in her mouth, and the book of knowledge on her head. That's to show Melvin she's a smart cookie. <laughs> Clever? But this I cannot understand. She has just taken a $10 bottle of Madame Cerise perfume and thrown it out the window. Irma, what's the idea? I just read in the paper that Madame Cerise got divorced. As the perfume didn't do her any good, how could it help me? <laughs> After all, I want to impress Melvin. Why? Why? Well, remember, he gave up his girlfriend Myrtle for me. Yes, I know all about that, but you don't have to stand by the window looking at the moon like a, a lovesick cat. Oh, but the moon fascinates me, Jane. I remember when I was a little girl, I used to say the moon was made of green cheese. <laughs> yes, I know. But we all outgrew that fairy story. Fairy story? Jane, there's a scientific explanation for it. That the moon is made of green cheese? Yes, it was once part of the Milky Way, but a big lump got loose and curdled. <laughs> Thank you, Irma Einstein. Oh, please, Jane, come here and look. I've never seen the moon so beautiful. The way it's beaming down the fire escape, and on the clothesline, on the steps and the street, and on that man standing there with a baseball bat. A baseball bat? Let me look. Irma, that's Al. I wonder what he's doing with the baseball bat. Well, it's obvious he's lost me, so he's taking up a hobby. Oh, no. <laughs> he must be waiting for your new boyfriend, Melvin. Oh, Irma. Oh, don't open the door, Jane. Oh, be still. Uh, do, do, oh, there. It is I. That's Richard. Anyone else would say it's me. <laughs> uh, uh, come in. Hello, girls. Oh, Jane, what's wrong? You're pale. Richard, I am... Uh, Richard, I don't know how to begin. Oh, Richard. For heaven's sake, what's wrong? Didn't you see Al? He's downstairs. Well, I thought I saw someone standing in the shadows, but he didn't speak. What's going on? Al is waiting for Irma's new boyfriend with a baseball bat. Now, Richard, I know you don't want to be involved, this but... This is uh, all I need tonight. I'd better go down and talk with you. I'm going to open the window. I want to hear what Al says. Isn't this wonderful, Jane? <laughs> oh, oh it, it, it's, it's ecstatic. I haven't had so much fun since that day you put shellac in my hair shampoo. Jane, I'm trying to hear what the boys are saying down there. But, Al, after all, you're a gentleman. You must take these things like a sport. I am a sport. Tonight I'm playing baseball and Melvin's head is the ball. <laughs> Root, Richard, you don't know how much I love my armor. Listen to that, Jane. You still love me. When I see her... It's like putting my tired feet in a bucket of Epsom salts. <laughs> the sound of her voice is like the welcome sound of a siren heralding a jailbreak. <laughs> and the touch of her hand is like the delicate caress of a pickpocket's fingers. <laughs> oh, 
poetry, sheer poetry. Jane, isn't it enough to turn any girl's head? Yes, and her stomach, too. <laughs> oh, look, Richard's coming back. Gee, I wonder what Al's going to do. Oh, I don't know, Worm, but pull down that shade. All right, but, gee, let's hurry up and change. Change? What are you talking about? Well, the way things are shaping up, I think we should all wear sports clothes. Don't you dare move, Irma Peterson. And let me tell you one thing. If Richard breaks off with me because of this fantastic nightmare, I'll... I'll... Oh, Richard, any luck? No, no, I pleaded with Al, but he has some silly notion about men fighting for their women. He says it's the law of the jungle, that the strong must devour the weak. Oh, my goodness. To think, uh, all these years I've been going around with a cannibal. <laughs> Let me in. Let me in. Ooh, that's Melvin. You come in. Jangway. So what's happened? What's happened? Some crazy farmer chased me up the steps with a baseball bat. Farmer? Huh? Yeah. He kept screaming and muttering something about, I stole his chicken. <laughs> Scaring me off, I like you, Irma. After all, I gave up Myrtle for you, and you're going to be mine. I'm going right back down there and fight it out with Al, man to man. Oh, Melvin, promise you'll be careful. Oh, I'm not even afraid. Don't let him hit you on the head. Remember, you have to be at work early. <laughs> don't give it a second thought. I'm afraid of nothing. But, Irma, if you don't mind, lift the shade a little. I want to see where Al is standing, so he doesn't have too much of an advantage with that baseball bat. All right. Let me see. Oh. What's the matter, Melvin? Melvin, you look white. Melvin, aren't you going down to face Al? No, I can't go down. we got to stay here all night. But you said you weren't afraid of Al. Take a look. Myrtle's down there with him, and she's also got a baseball bat. <laughs> Interesting. Why? I thought it was just going to be a ball game, but it's going to be a doubleheader. Well, that was some night. I didn't get to go out with Richard, but my dress did. We put it on Melvin, and Richard took him home. As for Irma, her status is still the same. Al is still threatening, and Melvin is still afraid to come around. In fact, every time Irma has a date with Melvin, she takes along a shopping bag. Irma, what's the idea? Well, Al says he'll tear Melvin to pieces, and I want something to bring him home in. (laughs) And you know, if anyone finds a missing piece, it probably came from the mind of my friend Irma. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Kenny, I've been away from radio quite a long time. I guess everything has changed. No, Fred, uh, things in radio are about the same. Oh, really? (laughs) Kenny, is that... (laughs) Is 
that old gentleman still on the air every week? You know the old fellow with the... Oh, you mean uh, just plain Bill? No, Bill wasn't his name. Hmm. Uh, pa Perkins? No, not Pa Perkins. Singing Sam? No, not singing Samuel Warm, though. This old guy... This old guy had a ballot named Manchester of Portchester. <laughs> away so long. Oh, you mean Jack Benny. Jack Benny, the octogenarian. <laughs> and how he can play it. He's the guy. Is he, is he still on the oh, air? Oh, yes. Jack's still broadcasting for Lucky Strike. Really? It's remarkable what those one-a-day vitamins can do. <laughs> a guy his age, yes, after Well, all. is Jack old? Is he old? A friend of mine saw Mr. Benny in swimming this summer. He thought that Benny was wearing a blue corduroy suit. <laughs> and it, uh, it wasn't a blue corduroy suit. No. Benny is so old now, his veins are outside of his skin. <laughs> hey, everyone, this is OTR Rob, and... We're welcoming back Fred Allen. He had been gone for two years. In his 1943-44 season, he was diagnosed with what was called hypertension, which is now called high blood pressure. And they didn't know very much about it back then. If they would have known a lot about it, Fred Allen probably his life would have been spared and he wouldn't have died as young as he did. Fred Allen was a tobacco chewer. He got to have it when he was 14 years old, working for a furniture store in his hometown. He worked in the basement with a bunch of other carpenters who, when they repossessed furniture, they would recondition it and put it back together and sell it as new, and these carpenters, and they chewed tobacco. And Fred Allen, that's how he got the habit of chewing tobacco. And if they would have known that, they could have saved Fred Allen's life if they would have known that tobacco use was one of the primary causes of high blood pressure or hypertension. Anyway, so enjoy this episode of Fred Allen, his return from December 7th, 1945, and I'll have a new Fred Allen show next week for 1948, and I'll see you back here next week. Gabriel Heater, kiddies. <laughs> The makers of Tenderleaf Tea and Blue Bonnet Margarine present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guests, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, the Tenderleaf Workshop Players, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And if anybody cares who I am, my name is Kenny Delmar. Ladies and gentlemen, since the war ended, we've all been waiting for the return of the things we've missed. Tonight, we bring you one of the things nobody's missed, and here he is, Fred Allen. (laughs) 
Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Kenny, I've been away from radio quite a long time. I guess everything has changed. No, Fred, uh, things in radio are about the same. Oh, really? About the same? Have they found out who the mystery chef is yet? <laughs> no. They haven't. How about one man's family? Have there been any uh, additions to one? No, Fred. What about Portia? Has uh, she turned around yet? <laughs> no. Portia is still facing life. In a rut, huh? Say, tell me, Kenny, is that, <laughs> is that old gentleman still on the air every week? You know the old fellow with the... Oh, you mean uh, just plain Bill? No. Bill wasn't his name. Hmm. Uh, pa Perkins? No, not Pa Perkins. Singing Sam? No, not Singing Sam. You're warm, though. This old guy... This old guy had a valet named Manchester, a Portchester. <laughs> I've been away so long. Oh, you mean Jack Benny. Jack Benny, the octogenarian. <laughs> and how he can play it. He's the guy. Is he, is he still on the oh, air? Oh, yes. Jack's still broadcasting for Lucky Strike. Really? It's remarkable what those one-a-day vitamins can do. <laughs> a guy his age, yeah, after Well, all. is Jack old? Is he old? A friend of mine saw Mr. Benny in swimming this summer. He thought that Benny was wearing a blue corduroy suit. <laughs> and it, uh, it wasn't a blue corduroy suit. <laughs> no. Benny is so old now, his veins are outside of his skin. <laughs> His face has more wrinkles than a seersucker suit on the closing day of, of a revival. <laughs> Almost didn't get that out. <laughs> if he really... Portland, how did you? I heard you singing as the program opened. Awfully good. How did you? How did you sense I was back on the air again? Mama heard a rumor. You know how fast bad news travels. Oh yes, General Patton told me. <laughs> what? Uh, what's new, Portland? I thought you might need some new jokes for your program. Well, don't tell me that you have contrived some specimens of waggery. Did you hear about the soldier who ate five dozen oysters and got discharged from the army? Ate five dozen oysters and got discharged from the army? Yes. He had 60 blue points. <laughs> oh, fine. It wouldn't work with, with uh, clams, would it? But, uh, <laughs> you know, that joke sounds like something off the bottom of Can You Top This? <laughs> Tom fell on Japan. The emperor doesn't wear a crown. No. What does the emperor wear? An Adam's hat. An Adam's hat. <laughs> you should put dry ice on that joke instantly, Father. It won't keep a minute. <laughs> and speaking of minutes, any minute we'll be leaving now for Alan's Alley. Oh, what is your question tonight? Well, one of the greatest problems facing the country today, of course, is housing. Here in New York City, thousands of people are looking for places to live. And so our question is, how is the housing shortage affecting you? Shall we go? As one B-29 said to the other, let's take off. <laughs> ah, Portland, it sure is good to be back down here in Allen's Alley. I wonder if 
the same people still live here. Well, there's only one way to find out. I'll knock at this first door again. Somebody, I say, somebody knocked. <laughs> uh, who was it? Uh, pardon me, mister. Senator Claghorn's the name. Claghorn, that is. Senator Claghorn? Uh, I'm from the south, or the deep south. From way down south. Huh? Yeah, I'm so far down south that my family is treading water in the Gulf Stream. <laughs> hey, that is south, isn't it? Yeah, where I live, we call the people from Alabama Yankees. <laughs> well, I don't uh, know. Don't butt in when the body's talking, son. Try listening. <laughs> Hey, try listening. You're bound to learn something. Well, look, Senator. Anything I'll... gets me down, it's two people trying to talk at the same time. Well, I know, but... I got the floor, son. Don't try no syllables. <laughs> now, look, Senator. What about the housing shortage down there in Washington? I'll stop at a hotel. Oh, you actually have a room? What room? You mean, uh... For $20 a day, they give me a chair in the lobby and a sleeping pill. <laughs> what is the housing problem coming to, Senator? Uh, there's only, I say, there's only one solution. And that is? Close up the OPA. Well, what will happen if we close the OPA? There'll be millions of ceilings left over. Yes? You put four walls under them ceilings, you got houses. <laughs> so long, son. So long, that is. <laughs> You know, I think the senator's got something there. Got something there. <laughs> I, uh, I wonder what a knock at this next door will bring. Howdy, Bob. Oh. <laughs> You're, uh... Titus Moody's my name. Titus Moody? Moody by name, Moody by nature. Well... <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Moody, has the housing shortage bothered you any? Yeah, that's why I had to leave the farm, Bob. Really? Yeah. The land was so poor, you'd have to use 20 sacks of fertilizer to raise a tune on it. Gosh. Cows were so weak, they used to travel in pairs. The cows had to travel in pairs? Yeah. Took two cows to pull up a blade of grass. <laughs> The uh, land was dry, was it? Dry? I didn't see no water for 20 years. 20 years? One day it rained. Yes? When the first drop of water hit me, I fainted. Yes? Yeah, they had to throw two buckets of dust in my face to bring me to. <laughs> Gosh, uh, how, did you, uh, how did you cope with the housing problem, Titus? Why, I ordered one of them two-room houses from Sears Roebuck, but it didn't help. You mean when Sears Roebuck delivered the two-room house? Sears was living in the front room, and Roebuck was living in the back. Go <laughs> on, Buck. Well, if I... <laughs> if farmers can't find houses, I guess traveling salesmen will just have to keep on traveling. And that brings us to another door. No. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You were expecting maybe Emperor Shapiro Hito? <laughs> tell me, 
tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, how do you... How do you feel about the housing shortage? Thanks to the housing shortage, today, Pansy Nussbaum is enjoying connubial bliss, if you pardon the expression. Yes. <laughs> well, what happened? What happened, Mrs. Ann? Is flocking to my house relatives. Relatives? Blood relatives. Relatives without blood. <laughs> Say, you must have a full house. Full? And the couch is sleeping two Rappaport's cousins. Uh-huh. And the dining room table is sleeping four Weinstein. All four of them on one table? They are half-brothers. It is making only two. Oh, well. <laughs> I see. And the bathtub is sleeping Ben Schwartz, an uncle. Mm-hmm. And Pop Uncle Ben is the little pinker's boy. He is floating on the water. Oh. The pinker's uh, boy is a good swimmer? A human sturgeon. Oh, really? Well, tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, with all your relatives jamming the house, didn't your husband get mad? Mad? One morning, Pierre is putting on his beret. <laughs> he is taking his Molly Pecan records. Took his Pecan records with him. And he is stamping out. Your husband left you? For two weeks, I am a widow. What happened? One night, is coming on the door and knocking. Your husband? Mine Pierre is back. Oh, it was true love. Pierre couldn't live without you. Love, schmuck. Pierre couldn't find a room. <laughs> well, here we are near the end of the alley. I wonder who lives here. Have you written? Have you heard? We're looking for the guy that began the begin to see if we can get him to stop it. <laughs> no. Have you heard? When my baby smiles at me, I wish she'd put in her teeth. <laughs> no. We got a patriotic song. What is your patriotic song called? Good luck, Mr. Truman. You're, You're a real red, white, and woman. Now look, but please. <laughs> Tonight, it so happens, we're discussing the housing shortage. We just wrote a housing shortage song. A housing song? How does it go? It's Jim. The situation's serious. It may get worse by spring. We mean the housing shortage, and that is why we sing. East side, west side, all around Broadway. You can find a place to live no matter what you pay. And now, ladies and gentlemen, meet the DeMarco sisters, five talented youngsters. We are happy to welcome as a regular feature on our program. Tonight they sing for you, It's Gotta Be This or That, girl. If you ain't wrong, 
season. It's the year-round beverage for every kind of weather. But right now, as the days get shorter, we're in the house more. We have more guests. And tender-leaf tea balls have come into their own. They're the largest-selling, fastest-selling tea balls in America because they're better in every way. The quality of your tea, its bouquet and flavor, is your first consideration. And tender-leaf tea balls are made with famous-for-flavor tender-leaf brand tea at its best in this convenient form. They are individual packets of tasteless filter paper that filter your tea as it's being made. There's a world of quick comfort in a piping hot cup of delicious tender-leaf tea. And here's the easy way to make it. Just drop a tender-leaf tea ball in your cup, zip in some boiling water, and it's ready. Quick comfort when you need it most. So, for every good reason, ask your grocer for tender-leaf brand tea balls. Al Goodman and his orchestra have just played June is Busting Out a Little Bit. <laughs> there wasn't time enough for June to bust out all over. And now, uh, what's the trouble, Portland? You look bewildered. Well, I was just wondering, how did you get back into radio, Mr. Allen? How did I get back? You didn't work for a year. Didn't work? Why, last year I was the backbone of Radio Portland incognito. For two months, I filled in when Bulldog Drummond had distemper. But how did you get to be the star of the Tenderleaf Tea Program? I can thank only one person for this job, Portland. Charlie McCarthy. Charlie McCarthy? Uh-huh. Last Sunday, I was the guest on Edgar Bergen's program, as you perhaps know. And as the program finished, I heard the orchestra playing Edgar's theme song. <laughs> On my way out, I heard voices, somebody arguing in one of the dressing rooms. Well, I put my ear to the keyhole. It was Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Edgar was saying... That's the last straw, Charlie. I'll keep your shirt on, Bergen. Why, Charlie, the idea of you leaving me to go with Fred Allen. Why, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. 
This is my reward after I've given you the best years of my life. Well, at your age, you should be glad to unload those years on anybody. <laughs> what has Fred Allen got that I haven't got? Nothing. But he spends a little of it once in a while. <laughs> well, if you think Allen pays higher wages, you're sadly mistaken. His program went off the air because Pellagra broke out among his cast. <laughs> Alan isn't hiring me, Bergen. I'm hiring Alan. Oh, I see. If anybody's going to be underpaid, I will do the underpaid. <laughs> so you're going to have your own show. You heard me. Your ears don't laugh over. No, wait. <laughs> Why, you little whippersnapper, you... Ah, uh, your father's my stank out on Well, I knew Charlie McCarthy was in the dressing room alone, so I opened the door. Mr. McCarthy. Mr. McCarthy. It's no use crawling back, Bergen. Oh, it's you, Fred Allen. Yes. Well, you're just a man I want to see. Say, I heard the argument, Mr. McCarthy. What's, uh, what's on your mind? Well, you need a job. I need a partner. What are we waiting for? But, Mr. McCarthy, Edgar's my friend. Friend? <laughs> Do you know what Bergen's been saying about you? Well, no. Bergen said you were so cheap that when you brought a pint of blood to the Red Cross, you made him give you a deposit on the bottle. <laughs> I'm cheap? Why, Bergen, with that pot belly? He only raised that abdominal bulb so he could keep his pants up without having to buy suspenders. <laughs> oh, Alan, you look better to me every minute. Boy, well, I went through with that cheapskate. Why, Bergen... <laughs> Bergen is tighter than the top olive in a bottle. He is over-penurious, I sometimes uh, say. I like the word. I don't know what it means, but I... <laughs> I can break it up. You might understand part of it, Charlie. <laughs> I like it better. Uh, those those ready-to-wear suits he buy with two pairs of pants. Then he'd have a tailor make me a suit. Oh, your suits were tailor-made. Yeah, out of the second pair of pants, yeah. You mean that suit you have on now was once a pair of Bergen's pants? Well, look at the coat. The lapels had cuffs on them. <laughs> lapels with cuffs, yeah. sir. And all my coats have zippers down the back. <laughs> But, Mr. McCarthy, if we team up, can, uh, you think we can get any work? What work? My closest friend is Mr. Tenderleaf. The big tea sponsor? The very same. Stick with me, Alan, and we'll go places in radio. Oh, Mr. McCarthy. <laughs> oh, come, come. Stop licking my hand. <laughs> with you, Mr. McCarthy, will I get laughs? Uh, well. Charlie knows the sponsor, and uh, Charlie gets the laughs. But, Mr. McCarthy, all my life I've been a comedian. I've gotten laughs. If Henry Kaiser can reconvert, so can you. <laughs> yes, sir, I promise not to get any laughs. Yes. When I started with Bergen, he promised not to get any laughs, too. Oh, really? Yes, and that's, that's the only promise he ever kept. <laughs> well, now that that's all settled, is there... Is there anything else, Charlie? Well, I... Uh, 
Charlie? Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. McCarthy. Better. It was a slip, honest, Mr. McCarthy. <laughs> I just lost my head there for a second. It's quite all right. It's quite all right. I'm I'm not a snob, you understand. I, but I am the star of the program. Yes, sir. Yes. And between the star and the stooge, certain class distinctions must be observed. <laughs> yes, master. I shall remember. I'll be on your knee, it's true, but uh, that's as far as the intimacy will go. I understand. I'm the stooge, and I shall keep my place, sir. That's better. It's nothing personal, you know. But this is radio, you see. It's dog-eat-dog. I know, sir. And I'll just finish eating that Mexican hairless Lurgan. (laughs) Sir, I give you a toast. To the new Charlie McCarthy show. Good. McCarthy marches on. Well, Portland, Charlie and I rehearsed our act all the next morning, and about two o'clock that afternoon, we went over to Mr. Tenderleaf's office. When we got inside the door, Charlie said to the secretary... Uh, pardon me, miss. Uh, what is it, shorty? Uh, tell, me. <laughs> tell Mr. Tenderleaf his pal McCarthy is here. Are you a friend of Mr. Leaf? <laughs> Tell Tender Chuck wants to see him. Are you kidding? Uh, miss, we're here to audition for the Tender Leaf radio program. Okay, I'll write down your name. Which one is Pick and which is Pat? <laughs> this will cost you your job, young lady. Miss Goober, Miss Goober, I'm a busy man. Yes, Mr. Lee. Call a conference. Get all my vice presidents here in my office immediately. Yes, sir. Yes, and when they get here, cancel the conference. Tell them I'm a busy man. Yes, sir. Uh, where's, uh, where's my portable desk? It's supposed to be wheeled around in front of me. Hand me a desk, somebody. I'm a busy man. Uh, hello, Mr. Lee. Uh, Miss Goober, who are these people? Yeah. Mr. Lee, don't you remember me? Who said that? Who's talking? It's me. I'm down here. Oh. Yeah, about that radio job, you know? Sorry, Mayor LaGuardia. We're full up on news coverage. <laughs> Remember me, Charlie McCarthy. McCarthy, McCarthy. Oh, yes, I met you with Edgar Bergen. Yeah, yes, sir. Bergen, what a comedian. If you're with Bergen, it's a deal. Miss Goober, give this boy a contract. I'm a busy man. Yeah, Mr. Lee. Yeah, yes? I'm not exactly working with Bergen on this show. No, Bergen, no contact. Throw these pants out. Yes. Uh, but we've got a... We've got a great act, sir. Yeah, Mr. Lee, give us a chance. Out of my way. I'm a busy man. Miss Goober, I'm on my way someplace. Where am I going? To Auditions for your radio program. Oh, yes, yes. I love to audition actors. Hand me my gun. Here, sir. Yeah. <laughs> clear the way. Clear the way. Stand back, everybody. I'm a busy man. Where's the door? Oh, here. I'm off. Gad, he is a busy man. Darn that closet. Where's the door? Oh, here. I'm off. Come on, Alan. We'll do an audition, too, huh? Great. Here's the audition room. Quiet, Mr. Leaf has stopped me audition. All right, all right, let's go. I'm a busy man. Start singing, you. Kiss me again. Kiss me. <laughs> Who's next? The three Fosdick sisters. Get going, girls. Do you hear that whistle down the line? On the edge, can speak up. Are you ready, Mr. McCarthy? Alan, uh, uh, you know, I've been thinking, suppose we change the act a bit. You sit on my knee in front of me, huh? <laughs> no, you're the star, Mr. McCarthy. You sit in front the way we rehearsed it. Yeah. 
Max, who's holding up the audition? I'm a busy man. Yeah, we're ready, Mr. Tenderleaf. Uh, is your voice ready, Alan? Uh, okay. Remember, keep leaving so he can't draw a steady bead. <laughs> Mr. McCarthy. We're Alan and McCarthy. We're the life of every party. We'll cheer you folks with quips and jokes. It sure will make you laugh. Ha-ha! And if you want a song with us, you can't go wrong. By the light of the silvery moon, we'll sit and school. Why can't your girl wear liquid stockings, Mr. McCarthy? Because she can't get her leg in the bottle. <laughs> we're Alan and McCarthy. We're the life of every party. Stop, we're... stop, stop, Fred. The gun must have jammed. <laughs> hey. hey, aren't you Fred Allen? Uh, yes, sir. I need a man like you to take over my tenderly tea program. I'll call it the Fred Allen Show. Name your own price. I'm a busy man. Is it a deal, Alan? Well, what about me here, Mr. Uh, yes, what about my partner? The little guy is out. He has no talent. I'm a busy man. Goodbye. <laughs> At last, back on the air. Yeah. The yeah. Fred Allen Show. Yeah. Gosh, I'd better phone Portland and Al Goodman and call up the others. Yeah, we really put it over, didn't we, partner? Partner? Yes. Yeah. You heard what Mr. Leaf said. Scram, small fry. Now, 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 look, Fred, now. Fred? I'm sorry, Mr. Allen. I, you know, <laughs> I've decided maybe we should sort of co-star on this show. Co-star on the Fred Allen Show? You know radio. It's dog eat dog. Yeah, but Mr. Allen... Beat it before I throw a termite on you. <laughs> but kind sir, sir, I... I'm not going to leave you here. No, I'm not going to leave you here. Here's your car fare home. A nickel. So long. Yes. A nickel. What did I step into this time? A nickel. There's only one thing I can do with a nickel. Oh, well. Let's go, McCarthy. Hello? Mr. Bergen? Guess who this is? <laughs> yeah, now, now, wait a minute, Bergen. No, but you got to take me back. Now, please. Yes. Yeah. Well, I work for 50 cents a week. Twenty-five? Uh, I work for nothing. I'll be, I'll pay you. I'll be your slave, Bergen. Listen, if you'll only take me back this one time... <laughs> a nightcap word? Yes, Fred, here's one for the book about delicious food that's everybody's topic. Remember the letters F-N-E for Flavor, Nutrition, Economy. Bluebonnet Margarine gives all three Flavor, Nutrition, Economy. Get that, ladies, not just one, not just two, but all three. Bluebonnet gives you all three Flavor, delicious flavor, so fresh and delicate and country sweet, the fussiest eater in the family will tell you, gee, Mom, this tastes swell. Nutrition, and I mean proved nutrition. Every fresh, sweet pound of Blue Bonnet is rich in food energy, rich in vitamin A. Economy, yes. Blue Bonnet saves you real money. Costs so little, you can spread it on twice as thick. Ask your grocer for Blue Bonnet margarine tomorrow. 
Because there is still only a limited supply of fats and oils available, you may not always find Blue Bonnet at the store, but keep on asking till you get it. Blue Bonnet is well worth asking for, waiting for. It's a product of the makers of Fleischmann's yeast. That fact alone tells you it must be good. Be sure to try Blue Bonnet, the margarine that has everything. Yes, remember the letters F and E for flavor, nutrition, economy. Blue Bonnet margarine gives all three. Flavor, nutrition, economy. Well, thank you, Kenny. This is Fred Allen, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks a lot for listening tonight. And don't forget, next Sunday evening, the Fred Allen Show brings you comedy. <laughs> Drama. Put that gun away, Vicky. Yeah? How am I going to squirt this DDT? <laughs> and our guest will be... Victor Moore. <laughs> Production.